what do we do when we're just not feeling it? Like, I want to do the right thing, or more often, the bester thing, but I just feel so unmotivated. What can I do to meet my aspirations and achieve my goals? Well, perhaps the question should really be, who's the I that's not feeling it, and when did he get in charge? Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversations for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Here's our host, Menachem Poznanski. Hey, Consciously, welcome back. So grateful to have you. The Consciously podcast, trying to get right back into the rhythm of things, talking about Tim Tum Halev today. But before we get there, I want to thank you for joining us and ask you if you could do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and five stars. It helps us get the word out. Also, you can do us an even bigger favor and share us with your friends that you think would enjoy the kind of things we're talking about over here. I want to invite you to check out our social media pages, The Light Revealed, on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, More importantly, you can check out all the content we're creating on our new website, The Light Revealed. Org. Check it out. It's got all the posts. It's really beautiful. Morty did a remarkable, exceptional job. Really, really nice. Zoe helped out a lot also. I'm really just so excited about it. Also, check out our books, Six Steps to Living Vibrantly with Our Creator by the name Consciously. Uh, Consciously, living Six Steps to Living Vibrantly with Our Creator. And Stepping Out of the Abyss, A Jewish Guide to the 12 Steps. If you want to reach out with questions, you can reach us on Instagram at The Light Revealed, or you can email us at the light revealed at tlrfamily.org. Okay, so here we go. New series. I think we really started this last week, and I don't know that we'll do it every week, um, but maybe, uh, plus other things. Definitely want to jump back into uh, interviews and stuff like that. But I wanted to, I'm going to do a series called Ancient Wisdom. So this will be the first, but really the second, of the Ancient Wisdom series and kind of focuses on frames that are put forward in the books of ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, that I kind of draw kind of really, or I found for myself, really practical advice for trying to live as a knucklehead one day at a time in a uh, complicated universe, a spiritual being having a human, somewhat spiritual being having a human experience. So that's what we're going to focus on. hope you enjoy it and I hope you like it. I'm enjoying doing them. So the Svarim Kadoshim identify a problem, something, and they call it Tim Tum Halev, which refers to a blockage of the heart. It's like a force within us that takes us off our game, blocking off our alacrity and our drive to make the efforts necessary to fulfill our aspirations and affect our vision in the world. Specifically, to really get in the way of our avodah, I believe, our spiritual effort and work of the heart, which is prayer. Now, the problem with laziness or sloth that gets in the way of prayer is that, you know, if I'm feeling slothful, I can pray for willingness, but if I don't even have the energy to pray, what do I do then? So let's first to try to figure out what to do about that state when you just feel I can't even open my mouth to pray. Let's try to unpack what Tim Tumalev means in actuality, and perhaps that will open the door to further understand what we're grappling with and also understand maybe the the way out. Now, Tim Tumalev literally means blockage or blocked heart. But what does that mean? What is the heart blocked from and how can we unblock it? So the books that teach, that bring out the ancient wisdom of Judaism, 
teach us that in fact what's happening is is that our heart gets cut off from the light of our soul and the illumination of our mind. So when we talk about Tim Tamale, what we're talking about is a state where we're cut off from our inner attitudes and convictions, and that leaves our heart drained of inspiration and motivation to do what we must do, what we want, and what we strive to, making it an utter drain to even open our mouths to pray. This is why the rabbis refer to this spiritual diagnosis as Tim Tamalev. The problem is that is not that we don't care. The problem is that is not that we don't want spirituality enough or that we're lazy. It's that our heart is blocked off from the inner spiritual light of our very soul itself. What do we do though? And why can't our heart feel motivated without our soul? Does it want the bad and our soul manipulates us into drives for good? Meaning is the, is the, is the heart naturally, its desire is for negativity or sadness and our heart, our soul infuses our heart with positivity and that makes us want to do good things. Why can our proverbial heart, because obviously we're not talking about the physical heart, maintain its own desire for good for the sake of doing good? Why can it maintain its passion for taking action just for the sake of taking right action. Why is the heart needy of the soul? And most importantly, what can we do about it when our heart lacks the motivation that we need? So as we discussed in the past, and particularly in the last episode, a human, ourself, is a compound being made up of two parts. Now, both parts are spiritual. We're not talking about the body and the soul. Both parts are spiritual, but each is anchored in, in opposite realms. One part is anchor, anchored in the realm of the divine. It craves and desires good and light and holiness. Our other part is anchored in the realm of materiality, the spiritual life force at the root of our material world. This part of us clamors for material and experiential fulfillment and actualizations. Our heart, as we have learned in the past, is the primary place of expression of this material part. So what this amounts to practically is that our material craving for fulfillment and actualization is connected and rooted in, but also influences deeply how we feel. So with this information, we can start to unpack the inherent problem behind Tim Tamalev. When our heart is cut off from the light of our soul and the illumination of our intellect, it essentially becomes ensnared in an exclusive way in its own material, materially oriented state of consciousness. This state of being overwhelms and blocks off our connection to thought, value, and attitude-driven divine self and anchors our consciousness deeply in a material fixation, craving material actualization and fulfillment, which without the direction of higher ideals amounts to being enamored by physical pleasure or states of rest. At our best, maintaining a commitment to adhering in action to our values and ideals, meaning we're behaving like nice, good boys and girls, it leaves us in a logjam, kind of trapped in a disengaged state of being, trudging through the mud of disillusionment and sloth. We're kind of stuck in between, on the one hand, an orientation towards the material, rooted, anchored in feelings, and cut off from a more lofty, ethereal anchoring in the divine and more connected to the mind. 
You see, as we've discussed before, even though, in the frame of the ancient Jewish wisdom, even though both the material self and the divine self have a connection to the mind and to the heart, to our intellectual self and our emotional self, our divine self is more connected, more deeply rooted and anchored in our in our intellect, whereas our material self is more deeply anchored and rooted in our emotional self. Therefore, more driven by emotions, more driven by instincts, more driven by impulses. So the problem of Timtum Alev, the problem of that is that creates that logjam of self where we're kind of stuck and we can't even open our mouths to pray, is that we've become ensnared in a material way of looking at the world, but we're also not acting on it. Meaning, even though oftentimes, even though it's true oftentimes, that people that are kind of preoccupied with a material way of looking at things can get lost in all sorts of petty or immature or silly or lustful behavior. But for those of us on a spiritual path, if we're trying to avoid those things, We've set ourselves up to really kind of focus in on activity that's based in divinity, good, and light. But if we're cut off from that, if we're not connected with that light, and we're only connected to our material self, and our material self is not expressing itself in a way that's inappropriate, we end up kind of stuck, slothful. We don't know where to go. Tim Tim Halev. Now, having defined and diagnosed the problem, how can we begin to understand better how to forge forward? Our problem, as we said, is an entanglement and preoccupation with the reactive impulses of our material self as expressed in how we feel. So the solution must entail a disentanglement of our consciousness from this trap, opening the door for our soul to shine in and for our mind to illuminate us, most importantly, opening the door for some prayer. In order to unpack all of this, though, we need to first understand one more fundamental idea that I was introduced to in a recent conversation I had with someone I admire and enjoy talking to about life. Often when we are looking at our reality through the material lens of our material spirit, spirit, what we see is, an, is absolutes. Two plus two equals four. Now that seems pretty factual and objectively true. How could it be anything else? The facts don't lie. Two apples in a bowl, and I add two more. Now I have four apples. Often when looking at ourselves and at our lives, we can see things in this kind of black and white binary way as well. I feel slothful. I desire to do bad things. I must be an awful guy. Sure, I also behave nicely sometimes, and I'm not Hitler, and I can even push myself to participate in remarkable things and initiatives and feel really, really good when I do them. But at the end of the day, the facts don't lie. I am, at my core, a low yutzlach, a second string kind of guy. But maybe that's not true. Not the low yutzlach part, the two plus two equals four part. Maybe we got it all wrong. But how? How could two plus two equal anything but four? Luckily for me, even though I'm terrible on a practical level at mathematics, I'm married to a brilliant mathematician. So I was able to at least begin to understand conceptually the idea, this idea that I was introduced to the other day. So here it is. Two plus two equals four. That's true. But three plus one also equals four. 
Not only that, but 5 minus 1, 6 minus 2, 7 minus 3, and 676,852 minus 676,848 also equals 4. Yet, there is more. Because 5 minus 1, and 6 minus 2, and 7 minus 3, etc., all equal 2 plus 2. And we haven't even left positive numbers, nor have we left addition and subtraction. In actuality, 2 plus 2 and 4 both equal an infinite number of things. But yet it goes even further. Not only that, 2 apples in a bowl plus 2 more apples doesn't necessarily equal 4 apples. In fact, it more accurately equals 4 apples and a bowl on a table in a room in a house, in a town, in a county, in a state, in a country, on a planet, in a solar system, etc., etc., etc. The point is, life is often way richer than it seems when we're looking at the world through a limited and binary manner. So when we ask the question, what do I do when I don't feel like it? We have to ask then, who is the I and when did he get in charge of our consciousness? The way for us to overcome the lethargy, which is rooted in our material self, which is anchored in our heart and feelings, is to take back our I and restore our fundamental faith. It's true, the simplest answer to who I am is what my consciousness most easily associates with, what I feel I am in the moment, actually. But that doesn't mean it's who I actually am, and it doesn't mean that those feelings and the attitudes that emerge from them are the objective truth. Let's go back for a second to our math equation. Now, 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's the most concrete and foundational mathematic version of the infinite equations that could state the very same thing. So that gives it a lot of meat and substance. 2 plus 2 equals 4, meaning the reason that we associate 2 plus 2 equals 4 as the, the primary equation is because it kind of is the simplest even though you could state 2 plus 2 equals 4, and 2 plus 2 equals an infinite amount of things, and 4 equals an infinite amount of things, but 2 plus 2 is kind of the, the primary. So I'm asked, it's true that life is complex and multifaceted, but isn't how I feel in the moment, how I wake up, how I most naturally orient myself, the most fundamental version of the equation that answers the question, who am I? Meaning, isn't that the 2 plus 2 equals four of my life? Maybe not. Maybe the foundational answer to the question of who I am is not who I feel like. Maybe it's something more objective and fundamental, yet less concrete. The ancient wisdom of Judaism reminds us to resist self-identifying so strongly with how we might feel in a given hour, and rather to consistently reorient ourselves back to the who we would be when push came to shove and the noise dropped. Who we are is not what we feel like, but more importantly, what we would die for, and most importantly, what we would live for, our principles, our spiritual convictions, and our faith. Whatever stands at the core of us is the four of our two plus two equation of self. How we feel on a given day matters, but it is a rather convoluted differential equation that is based on a plethora of algebraic geometric variables that might change in an instant. Therefore, the solution to regaining ourselves when we feel most drained and uninspired is to reawaken who we really are by ripping away the veil that is blocking us from seeing the truth.
This is why this state is called Timtum Halev. Because the problem at hand, the things driving my inertia and my lack of passion, is the disconnect, the blockage that has cut off my core beliefs from the part of me that loves and reveres and respects. Blocked by what? By what I happen to feel like right now, by the inner voice that entices me to misbehave, or even worse, tells me I'm not good enough, and then tries to seduce me into believing that he is actually me. But how? How can we dislodge our hearts from this logjam and reopen the connection between the two aspects of our spirit, our material spirit, and our divine spirit? The ancient wisdom of Judaism teaches that the key to overcoming our lethargy is by disempowering our emotional self from its state of prominence. As we have already described, we can't re-inspire connection between our divine spirit and our material one because we are stuck in a bog. We're so stuck that we can't even pray. So we're trying to figure out what we do then. And what the holy books explain is that it's actually quite simple. We simply have to knock the dark energy driving how we feel off its false pedestal of prominence, and the whole thing comes crashing down. How we feel seems to be what's most real and most prominent, but in fact, it is rooted in a lie. Okay, but to unpack this a little more, let's just ask a question. What, why is it a lie? What makes my self-association with how I feel in the moment untrue? We have to really explain it more. So to unpack all of this, to unpack why it's a lie and better grasp how to unravel a lie, we have to explain first why our feelings feel so important in the first place. Why, does it, why do our feelings feel like our, the number four of our two plus two equation? Why? Because as we said, that's where we wake up where we exist most consciously in a material reality. At times we feel spiritual and we might even connect with a divine level of spirit, but that's not our initial impulse when things are stressed and even happy. And it's not the most prominent place we orient to when we are seeking out the fulfillment of our instincts and impulses. Most of the time, all of the times we mentioned, plus, we as sentient beings in human bodies on planet Earth are more naturally and organically oriented toward the material world around us and on a spiritual plane to the life force standing at the core of our experienced reality. So therefore, what we feel and what we experience always seems at first glance at first glance, most real and most important. It's what comes most naturally, nature-like and oriented. And since it feels most natural, instinctive, and intuitive, we easily fall into the trap of associating it as most real, and therefore most powerful and important. Yet, as we said, this is a lie. Not just because what mo what's most essential is something from a higher plane of our existence, but also because even our material version of our inner equation is merely a more covered expression of divinity. Let's, let's use an example. If someone were taking a course on some field of complex mathematics, it would seem like the most complicated equation is the most profound and powerful. Yet, the true mathematician knows that the most profound equation in the entirety of existence is one plus one equals two. Not only that, but if you could think of, if you could find and discover, maybe have some grasp of the most profound equation in the universe, something that explains, for example, the mechanisms behind black holes or the universe itself or time, 
you would find something that's founded at its core by, by one plus one equals two. It is simply a more complex version of that simple, quote unquote, truth. So too, the life force at the core of our material reality, at the foundation of our everything, has no life or force of its own. It only has what it receives from the core of reality itself. Meaning, just as the most complex mathematical equation relies upon 1 plus 1, or is founded upon 1 plus 1 equals 2, so too the profound energy that is inside of us that gives us life itself is really founded upon the most core life and force behind everything around us and behind reality itself. It only has what it receives from, a, from that which is above it. So really, it's not so impressive or important, and it's not even really that powerful at all. And when nature presents itself, which it does, as orderly and functional and kind of operating at it on its own, and it seems so vast and so wondrous, at its best, it's acting or operating as a master of illusion, covering up the true source, whatever that core of reality that's behind it. So the question now is, how can we break free? How can we knock this power, this association, this identification off its pedestal? Pedestal, And what the holy books explain is that to do this, we must first affirm to ourselves that we are not these thoughts or feelings, no matter how much it feels like it right now. Then we have to talk to that part of us sternly and matter-of-factly say to ourselves something like, seriously? Are you kidding me? You think you're so important, such a big guy on campus? Get off your high horse. What do you know? The energy that fuels you is a hoax, a shading of light. Your desire to act darkly makes you lower than the smallest bug on this planet who willingly plays its role in the ecosystem of reality. And you? What do you do? You willfully resist what you have been invited and empowered to be? A human, a free-willed conscious being capable of good, of kindness, and of compassion? In this way, we turn that inner voice of abuse and deprecation back on itself. You say I'm a nothing. You're a nothing. We are just knuckleheads trying to do our best to aim for perfection the best we can one day at a time. Leave me alone with your negativity and laziness. Yesterday, I struggled to meet my ideals. It's true. And I feel down in the dumps again. Maybe the universe, my very soul, is inviting me to re-explore my dreams and goals. It's true I have repented for my mistakes, made amends for the shortcomings of my past, but perhaps there's a subtlety of character defect behind my bad behaviors, which is still present in my life, and that's why I'm not feeling so good. I'm feeling a little bit off. Maybe that feeling of off is actually an invitation to be more, to do more, to be freer than I ever imagined. So why don't you go take a seat? Because if you want congratulations for being a highly evolved monkey, you won't get it from me. A spiritual being having a human experience, trying to do my best to live a full life. The whole books explain, based on the words of Chazal, that the key here is to shock our system with a jolt of straight talk. Not, God forbid, to beat ourselves up or swim in the dangerous waters of shame. A time of low energy is no time for that. Instead, to talk straight, tough, matter-of-fact to ourselves, particularly to that part of ourselves that is resisting making a move 
towards good and what we want. We have to remind our material selves not to take itself and its feelings too seriously. To laugh at itself and to move on, as the, as the great Bob Newhart would say, just stop it. What happens when we shock the system this way is that it makes room for our inherent faith and trust, love and passion for what's good to emerge. It exposes that the part of us that is drawn to material is nothing but a fleeting thought blowing in the wind. Not because our feelings don't matter, and not because our material self isn't vital and important in some ways it's the most important, but rather instead because really our drive for material is a drive to uncover the spiritual within the material. Our anxious obsession with what ails us is merely a distraction from what really matters, the two plus two equals four of our lives, a vibrant relationship with our creator. So what's next, you ask? Well, pray act because you will see it works it doesn't work magically this suggestion to remove all the resistance and sloth of your heart but it works just enough to open the door and to make space for prayer to come in to bring in a prayer for willingness a prayer of gratitude a prayer of love and a prayer of longing then that creates a space however subtle to take an action move a muscle and begin to adapt our thoughts and feelings in line with the truth of our loving faith in our Creator and a willingness to walk forward toward the promised land. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining the Consciously Family. Consciously is brought to you by The Light Revealed, a social media publisher bringing messages of Jewish spirituality and recovery to whoever is looking for them. Consciously is made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family in memory of Tapora Bas Ravaro. Our producer is Morty Schwartz. Our audio engineer is Alps, and our artwork is by Tani Puz. Our social media team is led by Tehil Nasanian with help from Zoe Poznanski. The assistant to the regional co-host is Shmaya Hanekman, and our music is by Eitan Katz featuring Zushi. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We love connecting with you, so please feel free to email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com or private message us on Instagram or Facebook at the Light Revealed.